Okay, let's do this. Hey folks, welcome to Stephen Runs Vegan. My name is Stephen and I am the guy who runs vegan, sometimes. These days I've been doing some running, sure, but a lot of other stuff too. Now that I think about it, tried Ultimate Frisbee for the first time recently, that was a lot of fun, I'm thinking of doing that more. Although, it did kick my ass, I was in... It was a full training session and really enjoyable, but wow, did I realize I, I'm generally in decent fitness compared to most people in the world. I can run quite far, but wow, short-term sprints, bursts, other body movements that I'm not used to. I need to round off my fitness a little bit more, which I think I'm doing lately, doing better at. November Project is in full swing again. We had our Pride workout yesterday, yesterday morning, which was really a lot of fun. And that's not killing me as much as it used to, but when we restarted five weeks ago, I, I can do a few burpees and a few push-ups and things like that now. Been back bouldering again for the first time since, yeah, in over a year, I think, in my case. The boulder holes, the climbing gyms opened again a month ago, maybe, two months ago, but I was just a bit too soon for me. I wasn't really comfortable because, yeah, I, I don't know. But I went back to it there for the first time a few days ago. Wow, honestly, it was really just so refreshing. I was so happy to realize I didn't lose a lot of ability uh, in terms of bouldering, climbing. Uh, I was still pretty much on the same level that I was when I quit, when, when lockdown made us all quit a, a year or so ago. The only difference is my body's obviously not adapted anymore, so I got very tired very quickly. The skin on my hands, back when we were all bouldering and climbing regularly, my, my hands were nice and calloused. As in the the skin was rough and it had been adapted to tolerate the rigors of climbing, and now I I just have some cuts and sores and some tender spots because yeah my my skin is not used to it anymore but it's it's gonna get there. The other thing that surprised me was I just wasn't used to being on the wall again, as in like just being up on a kind of a perilous dangling thing because some of the holes are very um tiny basically and you know you're 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 holding on for dear life now you're you're only three meters off the ground you're not holding on for dear life but it feels like it you could slip off the wall at any moment and that's just something you have to get over the being imbalanced being like dangling from a few fingers or some or your toes you're falling off a wall that's not very high and you're landing on on padded ground so it's not it's not detrimental it's not dangerous but still it freaks you out a little bit or certainly freaked me out a bit I was uh, doing well, so I was happy to see that my climbing was was good. But then I found my my adrenaline, my heart rate, my anxiety was just doubled when I was finishing the routes, when I was high up on the wall, which is not a great place to have it. But that seemed to fade the longer the session went on. We, I got better, got more tired, but got more comfortable on the wall. So it was yeah, it was a great session. We've been busy. Uh, lots more socializing now as well with the Euros and the summer weather and just generally things being open again, which is fantastic. I don't know why I'm rambling all about this kind of thing, because I do have a long podcast topic to get to today. So yeah, thank you very much for joining me. Today I wanted to talk about my interrail trip that I took a few years ago. Back in 2016, in January 2016, my girlfriend at the time and I decided to take a trip I was between jobs at the time, and we ha- had a bit of free time. I had a bit of uh, wiggle room. I could plan a longer tr- longer trip than, than just a weekend away, which is normally what I'd been doing before that, these kind of short city breaks. And we, we had both been really interested in doing an, a sort of interrail trip, like traveling by train around Europe, because, yeah, trains are cool. And um, I had the time. It was between two jobs. And so we thought, okay, let's do this. There was a three-week trip planned, and there were three potential options. We were planning routes and just brainstorming different ideas. And in the end, the three routes that we kind of had to decide on, one of them was going to be France and Iberia. So we would do go by train through France, stopping off along the way, and do Spain and Portugal. That was one idea. The other one was kind of a central Europe, going through Switzerland. I'd seen this train travel website, which had some of the most listed some of the most famous and scenic train rides in the world, and one of them was through Switzerland, through the Swiss Alps, which looked stunning. You, there was this train which was mostly made of glass in order so that you had a panoramic view of the Swiss Alps. That was a tempting option as well. And the third one was Eastern Europe, so cent- Central and Eastern Europe. 
um, hitting cities like Prague and Budapest and Berlin, which is the one we chose. That's what we did. Basically, Eastern and Central Europe going, starting in the east and working our way slowly back west. That was kind of the how it turned out in the end. And honestly, the planning for this whole trip was probably one of the most fun parts. I love geeking out about uh, travel planning, train journeys, booking things in advance, or just getting inspiration, getting an, uh, a feel for those cities that we were going to be visiting. So you can strap in and welcome to the Stephen Runs Vegan Podcast, because today I'm going to be talking all about my vegan interrail trip. I might be switching between mine me and us or we and myself though talking singular and plural i did the whole trip with my ex-girlfriend had a great time and yeah if i say we that's me and her just so you know in advance the full route was starting in amsterdam starting in the netherlands we would go from to berlin from berlin to prague from prague to vienna vienna to bratislava in slovakia bratislava to budapest budapest to florence florence to paris and finally, by bus, Paris back to Amsterdam. I know that's a lot. I Back in the day when we were planning this thing and telling people about it afterwards, I, I'd said that list of cities so many times. Berlin, Prague, Vienna, Bratislava, Budapest, Florence, Paris, and back to Amsterdam. Ended up spending two nights in most of those cities. I think in Berlin and Budapest we did three nights. So the, I, I quite liked those cities, wanted to linger a little bit more. And in the end, Florence and Paris, the two last stops on our tour, was just one night each. It turned out to be just as well, because by then, wow, were we tired. So let's get into it. I'm going to tell you literally exactly what, what we did, what the, the, the route we took and the, what we got up to when we were there. And also just chime in with some opinions and hindsight and commentary along the way. I hope you enjoy it. On January the 10th, this whole thing started, January 10th, 2016, started off with a Frank Turner concert in Utrecht, of all things. So Frank Turner is a big, uh, one of my favorite musicians, probably my favorite musician. And he had a tour at the time, and he was playing in Utrecht. Had a great night there. The, the gig was amazing. There was a couple of friends who joined us for that one as well. We were couch surfing that night. Just, it seemed simpler. There was We, we found this couch surfer who was hosting near the venue seemed like a good idea at the time unfortunately it wasn't <laughs> our couch surfing host was pretty terrible she uh, she met us walked us back to her place and said okay good night and left us there in the living room with no blankets no heating it was really cold no nothing so we slept on two tiny couches and had a not a great start but we left bright and early with that very reason and a little bit drowsy our train to Berlin was leaving from Amersfoort, which is not Amsterdam, as I would have thought. Amersfoort's just a, a small city, a large town in the Netherlands, and the the, the train, the, the intercity train to Berlin left from there. So off we went. I remember our very first moment of the trip was sat, sat down find found our reserved seats i think they were reservation anyway we found our seats put our bags away got settled and just before we left this asian couple well two two asian women got on and sat beside us at the two seats opposite across the aisle from us and they immediately pulled out bags of kfc i think or maybe mcdonald's some fast food thing and they just let them sit there on their little table for hours I thought, what is this? Like, fine, KFC, McDonald's can be good in the moment, but there's no fast food that lasts well. It's, it doesn't reheat well, and certainly it goes cold instantly. And these two had just got this big bag of food sitting on their uh, table for hours unattended, and then eventually they decided to eat it. And of course, the thing with fast food, it, the smell is so obvious, and it's just so pungent if you're not can be delicious if you really want it in the moment but if you're not enjoying it it's just such a pungent smell like i said so that was weird so it was about a five hour train journey to berlin i believe one of the most fun things i enjoyed and on this on this train journey and in general was using the train's bistro cart like the the onboard restaurant 
it's just such a novelty for me to be having lunch or drinking a coffee or sitting down in a restaurant on a train. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. So I'd been to Berlin before a few times, loved the city, still do love the city. And we were staying in an area in Berlin called Friedrichshain. So we arrived in Berlin Hauptbahnhof, got the train, the little S-Bahn train to Ostkreuz. If anybody knows Berlin, they know where I'm going. From Ostkreuz, we walked to Warschauerstrasse, which was in Friedrichshain. Friedrichshain is this really cool area near the east side gallery. So it's near one of the most famous stretches of the Berlin Wall. But it's also in former East Berlin, and as a result now, it's one of those places that's become very cool and very trendy. Lots of vegan restaurants, music venues, kind of cool bars and re- and cafes, that kind of thing. It's a very nice area to hang out. It's exactly the, the type of spot that I look for when I travel. We stayed in a Sunflower Hostel on just off Warschauerstrasse. The Sunflower Hostel was really cool. The only downside is when we got there, we were checking in and they had this blackboard written. Uh, they had this blackboard beside the, the reception desk. And on it, it said something like RIP David Bowie. And at the time, we I didn't know about it. We had no idea. We'd been on the train all, all morning. And we got there and saw this. And I thought, is this some weird in reference or some weird joke? Or is that true? Has, has David Bowie died? And the girl behind the counter had no idea. She said, oh, I don't know. I haven't heard about it. But yeah, naturally, a few hours later, we did hear David Bowie had died. So that was quite a, a somber uh, moment on our little giddy, exciting beginning to the whole trip. But um, it was the start of 2016. And for those of you who remember, a lot of celebrities died in 2016, seemingly more than usual. And I think a few of them died quite early in the year. So it seemed to be Back before 2020 and before COVID and before all of this, we thought 2016 was the cursed year, was the d- the bad one, Brexit and Trump, all these famous celebrities dying. Of course, I wasn't to know then, this was only the 10th of January 2016, but David Bowie had passed away and that was that was sad to hear. So the whole trip in general, this whole three-week interrail thing was going to be cultural and we were going to visit all the famous historical sites and architectural landmarks and all of that but our main priority it was going to be a vegan like foodie indulgence experience and that's exactly how it started in berlin we went to this restaurant called yo-yo food world and oh yo-yo i i it's still open i believe and i hope i can get back there soon because it's probably the best like vegan junk food place i've ever been to it had all the classics it had all your types of cheeseburgers and hamburgers and bacon double cheeseburgers they did pizza they did lasagna they did desserts just a a huge menu all of it vegan it was really fairly priced very reasonable prices big portions full of salt and oil and sugar and fat and all that stuff so it's not healthy vegan food whatsoever but we'd been traveling all day and we just tucked into this big giant feed of vegan junk food and oh man it was so good and because it's in Friedrichshain and because it's in Berlin, it had this real punk rock sort of liberal uh, anarchy sort of style to it as well. The guy who served us was in pink hot pants and there were pictures of Johnny Cash and Joe Strummer on the walls. Very cool place. Uh, in Berlin, we, we did a walking tour the next day. I think we left halfway through, though. I remember both of us realized, yeah, we know Berlin already. What are we doing listening to these stories again? Our tour guide wasn't. Uh, anything inspiring and we just left halfway through and did our own thing uh, we did a bike tour of the city later uh, the next day i think that was very cool um let's see what else did we get up to went to the ramones museum that used to be there i'm not sure if they i, I think that's closed these days but ramones museum was really cool it had lots of photos and you know memorabilia from the punk rock scene in berlin from the 70s up to this day they hosted concerts a lot, so and it was one of the, one of the traditions was that if you played in the Ramones Museum, you had to sign the wall. So we had this massive wall with loads of names of bands and artists, and we found Frank Turner on there. So that was cool. What else did we do? We saw the Berlin Wall, of course. Um, checked out other kind of vegan, cool uh, neighborhoods. Friedrichshain was the one we were staying in, but there's also Neukölln. Neukölln and Kreuzberg and we both went to both of them to find different vegan restaurants and that kind of thing. I just love Berlin. It's kind of ugly. It's it's in a state of redevelopment at the moment. It's being gentrified. 
There's lots of modern construction going on, but it's still got enough of that alternative cool indie. Hipster is almost saying it in an unfair way. Like You've got everything in Berlin. You've got techno party kids on the train beside some punk rockers, beside some junkies, and beside some people who are in a suit commuting to work. It's just a weird and wonderful city, and I really love it. I can't wait to go back, but we had a good time there. It did become evident we, there was some snow and ice for most of our time there. It became pretty evident very quickly that this was going to be a trip through Central and Eastern Europe in January, and it would mean essentially being cold for most of the entire three weeks. It started here. We were well set. I had these big winter walking boots that were very comfortable. Jacket, scarf, hat, gloves. I'd packed for the cold weather. But yeah, when you're traveling, you spend a lot of time outside and we realized, okay, the cold is going to be an issue. <laughs> it was, but we didn't let it stop us. It certainly, but it certainly was an issue for the, for most of the trip. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Berlin was a great start. One of the only mishaps probably on the whole trip, one of the only real things that went wrong on the whole trip was we missed our train from Berlin to Prague by a matter of seconds. It was so frustrating. We left in good time, or in enough time, to get to the central train station from where we were. But for some reason, we were on the S-Bahn, we were on the, the city train to the station. That stayed, that stood still on the tracks for about 10 minutes with no explanation. guess these things can happen. There was just some delay on the line. We got to Berlin Hauptbahnhof with just enough time. We were kind of running in the door. We realized, oh, this train's about to leave, but I think we can make it. And we were trying to find our platform, and Berlin Hauptbahnhof is huge and new, and it was too big, unfortunately. We couldn't find our way, and we took a wrong turn, and by the time we got onto the platform, we were running at this stage. Big backpacks on our backs, running for a train, and as we got down the stairs, we saw it just pulling off and going into the tunnel and into the distance, and we realized, damn it, that was the train. We had bought tickets, not just for Berlin to Prague, but specifically for that train, like the 10 past 10 train from Berlin to Prague. That was no fun. We calmed down, got caught our breath, went to the ticket office, tried to kind of reason with them or push for some discount or some just move, moving our reservation to the next train. The girl was having none of it. We had to buy brand new tickets from Berlin to Prague, like 70 euro each. So I don't know, something expensive anyway. And we waited in a bakery in the station for about two more hours, just kind of chilling until we could get the next train. But that that was the only issue. And luckily, it happened really early. It happened on our second um, second journey of the whole trip, which made us aware, okay, we can't do this again. That was an expensive mistake. We're going to turn up at the train station an hour early if needs be. And we didn't miss any other trains on the way. So silver lining to that one, I guess. The train itself going to Prague was really beautiful. The train rides between the cities had just become one of my favorite or became one of my favorite features of the whole three week interrail trip. What I'd often end up doing is just leaving, like dropping our bags, and I'd say, okay, I'm going to go for a walk through the train. And I'd walk from one end to the other, and you'd always find the part of the train, you'd always find the part of the train that had the carriages, the little cabins in it, and there was always one of them empty. So it became a bit of a ritual every time we had to get on one of those long train rides. I would say, okay, you watch the bags, I'm going to go through and find us a, a cabin. And I did. It was great. But the trip to Prague was so cool. The, to see the countryside changing as we went, mountains and valleys, and the scenery was really pretty. Still early enough in the trip as well that the, the novelty of taking a train from Berlin to Prague was awesome. And I just love the long rides in general. It gave a chance to just firstly put down your backpack, put down my backpack. The the longer the trip went on, yeah, just it became uh, a bigger and bigger and more intimidating experience to pack up the backpack again and lug it onto your back and go to a train station. And you you have this giant backpack on your back. And you could be on the metro or you could be walking through the city center or in a train station and you have... You're occupying twice the size, twice the space that you think you are because there's so much stuff on my back behind me. So I'd turn and, and you'd, you'd find yourself turning and accidentally bumping into somebody. So the, the intercity train rides were great because it was just a few hours, in most cases, of nothing where we, we were on the go the whole time. By design, it was a, a lot to see in a short space of time. So to sit down on the train to get the backpack off your back 
I would write up. I was writing a travel journal. It was just a great chance to catch up on all my writing or have a nap. And the trains, trains in Europe are just great generally because that that's the way to see the whole continent really. Unless you're going to Ireland or the UK, but even toward to the UK, you can have the Channel Tunnel, the Eurostar train. For example, from Berlin to Prague, we left. We we came to Berlin Hauptbahnhof, which is a massive train station right in the center of the city. And a few hours later, we got off in Prague. Uh, train station, Prague's main train station which is another one right in the centre of the city there's no baggage checks, there's no passport control, there's no long queues or like poorly ventilated airport terminals, none of that stuff you just get on with whatever you're carrying and you get off and you're right in the heart of another famous European historical city centre it's, it's it's amazing, it's a great way to travel Prague was cool, we had, we had an Airbnb which was not which was walking distance from the the train station and also walking distance from the the old town city center, which was great. Cute little Airbnb. We arrived, dropped our bags, which is always a relief. We settled in and it was quite late in the day by then anyway, or I remember it being dark anyway. And Prague has quite a lot of vegan options, a surprising number, but one of them is a place called Loving Hut. Loving Hut's an international vegan chain and at the time, I'm sure it's changed now, but Prague had eight of them. So there's a Loving Hood in Amsterdam. There's some in different cities all across the world. And it, when I saw any city I was going to had Loving Hood, I thought, great, vegan restaurant, good feed, decent food, decent prices. You were always lucky if you, if I, or I, I always felt lucky if I was visiting a city with a Loving Hood in it. And then for some reason, there were eight of, eight of them in Prague including one at a food course right beside us at a nearby shopping centre. So that was cool. Uh, a day of travel and we just sat in a, in a shopping centre food court. I piled up my plate full of vegan food, ate really well, had so much for really cheap prices. Czech Republic is quite cheap anyway, certainly compared to Berlin and Amsterdam. And that was a great feed. Prague is a beautiful city. It was very cold, but we, we tried to do as much walking as we could. The old town centre, the castle, the, the Charles Bridge, it's real fairy tale stuff, especially the beauty of travelling in winter versus the the difficulty of it. Yes, it was freezing cold and we had snow and we had wind and ice, but also the it got dark very quickly and to see the city by night was beautiful. We didn't have to stay up till 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night to see the lights come on and the city go dark. It happened at four or five in the evening, so we'd get a few nice hours of daylight and we would get to see a different side of the city completely once the sun went down and the lights came on. On a, we'd, we're on this walking tour of Prague and I realised that one of the, I think I'd packed like two or three pairs of jeans with me maybe, but one of them was this pair of jeans that I had bought in a second-hand store and clearly I had bought without looking because I may may have just hold, held the, the, the jeans up to my legs and thought, yeah, the waist fits, the legs look like it, it's the right length. But as I, I put them on and we were walking out and I realized, oh damn, these are flared jeans. These are women's flared jeans. They weren't even subtle. They were just so obviously a kind of a trendy thing. And I felt so, I didn't even feel embarrassed. I just, I felt a bit silly, but I thought, well, whatever, nobody here knows me gonna do the walking tour so be it and <laughs> i change i'll change when i get home and even on that walking tour there was another uh, little instance as well but just before the walking tour so we we'd met in the main square about 10 minutes early and the guy the guy said okay it's gonna start if you want to get a coffee go here toilets are here everyone's gathering and i thought yeah it's great it's it's in the morning it's pretty cold i'm gonna get a coffee to to heat up and get me going for the day went to this nearby cafe, and by now I'd learned a few Czech words, hello and goodbye, that kind of thing, and I think I tried to order my coffee in Czech, which didn't go too well, it turned out, because in my nervousness of making sure I got the Czech words right, dobry den, uh, uh, hello, goodbye, all that stuff, I accidentally ordered a cafe latte, and I heard the word coming out of my mouth, latte, and this wasn't a vegan place, this wasn't anything special, I just ordered a latte, and then I caught myself, and I turned to my ex, I said, did I just order this cafe latte? She said, yeah, I thought I heard you say that. Why did you order a latte? And I got it and I looked at it like, damn, this is just dairy. This is just a, a, a cup of hot milk with an espresso shot thrown in. But I thought, I don't want to make a deal. I don't want to waste it. 
It's still a warm drink, and for better or worse, you can judge me if you want to, but I tried it. I thought, all right, I don't want to throw this away. I don't want to make a scene. It was my fault. I'll just, I'll drink it anyway. And I think I could have about two sips before I, my stomach was turning. It was just so creamy and milky and ugh, no. It was a nice reminder that, all oh, right, yeah, I, I don't like milk anymore. I don't like creamy dairy products. And that was, I knew that anyway, from an ethical standpoint, but also the the taste of any animal milk, the taste of cow's milk in the coffee was just revolting. So, mistake, lesson learned, threw that away. There I was drinking a, a an animal, a cow's milk latte in my flared jeans before <laughs> before a walking tour of Prague. Anyway, the walking tour was great. Prague's a beautiful city. As I said, I got home from that one and changed into a more fitting pair of jeans, I think. And I remember being glad I left those those flare jeans in the Airbnb in Prague, just as if I forgot about them. And I was so relieved because packing, unpacking, reorganizing the backpack became one of the least enjoyable things the longer the trip went on. So we'd been planning for a long time. We didn't want to take too much, but it was winter. So, you know, you had to take layers with, to stay warm. And that took up a lot of space in the backpack. The night before we left for the whole trip, we packed, packed meticul- meticulously. So every bit of space was taken, everything was organized into little pouches and different areas, and it fit very well. But of course, as the longer you go on, we, we didn't have the time to pack meticulously every time we were we were changing and taking trains and changing cities every two or three days. So you stop doing it so detailed after a while, and you, I'd end up starting to just sh- shove you know everything back into the pack and oh I don't, I'll organize it when I, when we get to our next destination. As a result, it just became very bulky and a lot less spacious. And so to, to leave one pair of jeans behind was actually kind of a relief because it meant I had a little bit more space in my backpack, a bit more wiggle room. Let's see, other Prague highlights include a two of my favorite vegan experiences ever, probably. So I mentioned the ordering the milky latte and how dumb that was. But on the bright side, there was a vegan brunch a cafe called Moment. And this was a bit out of the center. One of those beautiful things about vegan restaurants is they can be anywhere in the city, not necessarily just the tourist hotspots. And this one took us out from the usual spot. It was just this modern kind of suburban area of the city. And it's really unassuming cafe, but it seemed very well rated. And it had like vegan breakfast options like breakfast burritos, scrambled egg, toasties, omelets. And oh, wow, it was amazing. It wasn't it just did all the simple things correctly. The prices were decent. The service was so friendly. The interior looked cool. The menu was spectacular. We went twice on that trip. Like I said, it was a bit out of the center, a bit out of the way. But after going the first time, we realized, oh, we've got to go back. This place was so good. And again, a few years later, I went to Prague to run the marathon with my dad. And I mentioned this offhand. I just mentioned, oh, there's a nice cafe that we went to a few years ago. And I went with him. We went twice again. So it's I hope Moment is still there. I hope I can go back again. If you're visiting Prague, check it out. Great place. Vegan breakfast and delicious. The other uh, experience was in a place, a restaurant called Maitreya. And it was probably the only quote-unquote fine dining we did on the whole trip, relatively speaking. But this was sort of a fancier vegan restaurant and it was very well reviewed and it looked and It was more high-end, that's for sure. So we dressed up in whatever semi-formal outfit we managed to shove into our backpacks and put on a nice shirt, I think. And it was probably the single best vegan meal I've ever had. I had this sweet potato casserole thing, if I can remember correctly. All I can remember is the flavor. It was just delicious. The portion was too small. It was, again, a fancy place. Prices a bit higher not about just having a big feed the way I did in the food court the night before. This was more of a multi-sensory experience and, uh, oh, I'm I'm blabbering. It, best vegan meal I've ever had in my tray that night. It was delicious. Also in Prague, at some stage, we were in the old town center, the Wenceslas, Wenceslas Square. Good King Wenceslas. <laughs> Clearly not sure how to pronounce his name, but the main old town square in the center. And we spotted this couple who we were on a bike tour with in Berlin. Like, oh, that or I remember the girl, of the, it was an Aussie couple, and the girl was wearing this bright yellow jacket. And we spotted them again. Like, hey, we just saw them in Berlin the day before. 
Maybe they were even on the same train as us. It's a bit of a small world. We didn't go over or say hi or anything, but it was cool. I wonder how often that happens. Like this hundreds of kilometers in between two different cities, no plan whatsoever, and we stumble across the same couple twice. That was kind of cool. So after Prague, the next stop was to be Vienna. And Vienna was probably the coldest we were on the entire trip. It was a great city. Both of us had a mutual friend there. We went to see her. We stayed with her. That was very cool. Thank you, Lena. The center of Vienna is beautiful, very elegant, very fancy. Everyone's well-dressed. But I don't know. There's something... I, I just didn't love Vienna the way I fell in love with Prague and Berlin and later Budapest, other places on the trip. Vienna's a stunning city, and I'm sure if I go back again, I could have a great time. But for for the very high standard that we set for all of our, our, our uh, locations that we were visiting, Vienna just didn't do it for me. We went to the Schönbrunn Palace, a bit out of the city centre. Uh, Dutch people know that as the Sisi Palace. Apparently there's some famous Christmas movie that's on every year in the Netherlands about a princess, Sisi, or whatever, and it was set in Schönbrunn Palace, so we went out there. Very beautiful building, and the grounds were gorgeous. But again, it may have been the coldest I've ever been. Standing there, like fully dressed in layers, good jacket, hat, gloves, scarf, winter boots, the whole thing. And I just couldn't enjoy it. I, there was this beautiful old conservatory glass building on top of a hill that you could go to. And I remember saying, I just don't care. I'm too cold. It looks lovely. I'm sure there's a nice view up there, but I can't. I'm going numb already. We just have to get back indoors and back into the center of town. So Vienna was cool, but um, yeah, probably the my least favorite stop on the tour. But, and again, that's a high bar. I don't want to be unfair. Bratislava was next. Bratislava and Vienna are the closest capital cities in the world, just right beside each other. It's a 45-minute train ride. Uh, back in 2013, I spent six weeks living in Bratislava, and so we were passing by or in that general part of the world, and I wanted to make a quick stop on the way, just for old time's sake, a bit of nostalgia. So we took the train from Vienna to Bratislava, stayed there for a few hours in the afternoon before hopping on, on another train to Bud- Budapest. It was very nice. Went to this, this uh, my favorite tea cafe that I I frequented when I lived there for six weeks and saw the castle and had a nice time. We had some lunch. It was cool. And on we went to Budapest. And yeah, I love Budapest. We arrived late and if memory serves, went found our Airbnb and just went straight to bed. This was day, probably day six or seven of the whole trip now, and we were just on the go all the time, whether that was traveling between countries, between cities, or just on on the go during the day. We we had a lot to see and do. When you're in a city for two or three days, you're kind of under a bit of time pressure if you want to make the most of it. And as as a result, over the course of the whole trip, we really learned to just slow down, slow ourselves down, because the activity levels were too much. It was unsustainable. Yeah eventually you reach a sort of cultural fatigue where you see oh it's another magnificent museum it's another giant cathedral it's another iconic destination and you you can only see so many cathedrals before it's a bit eh. mentally it's it's you know it felt like a sponge you can only absorb so much water before the rest just seeps through and we were full of culturally full if that makes any sense but budapest it was lovely and um Again, freezing cold. We, I remember there were ice blocks floating in the river, the Danube that flows through Budapest. wasn't completely frozen, but there were certainly like just large chunks of ice floating down the river. And again, any sightseeing we did was done in pockets between hiding in cafes, drinking tea, or going back to our Airbnb and to just warm up and recover. We would go, for example, the... Um, what's it called? There's a big hill in Budapest. The Citadel? I think it's the Citadel. Anyway, the the National Monument, there's some big hill where you get to the top and there's a giant sculpture there and it's a beautiful view of the whole city. We did that, but yeah, it's January in Hungary and we're standing on the top of a hill, very exposed. You can only be there for about 10 minutes before it becomes unbearable. Also, I had a realization at that on top of that hill, at the, the, the monument, at the Citadel, my favorite activity of the trip had become people watching or specifically tourist watching. So we'd go to these 
very, very like the main square, an old cathedral or museum, these very famous tourist hotspots in all of these cities that we were visiting. And eventually I just started to look at the tourists rather than the the building or wh- wherever we were ourselves because it was so fascinating to see all the differences. You could spot the Dutch tourists, you could spot the British, you could see the, the hordes of Asians, the Japanese or Korean groups because they would travel in groups of 50 or so. They were especially fascinating. So one of the highlights from the trip to Budapest was the Seichenyi Bats. Seichenyi? Seichenyi? I'm not sure how to pronounce it. A lot of consonants in there. My Hungarian is non-existent. But Budapest is famous for having these bathhouses, these natural thermal springs, and they built bathhouses. For Some of them are very touristy, and some of them are a bit more local, a bit more basic. My parents had bought us tickets for Christmas to go to the most famous one, the Seichenyi Bats, in the city park as uh, for Christmas as a present. And it was oh, amazing. I, I didn't really have expect, high expectations going in. I thought, yeah, okay, a bathhouse with natural springs. We can sit there for an hour and get warm. But, you know, what? otherwise, what's the point? But wow, I just underestimated it. The building itself was this really gorgeous old 18th or 19th century era bathhouse style. There were 40 different pools all in all. So one big outdoor pool, which is heated. And it's it's about two degrees and it's dark by the time we're there. But the water, the steam coming off this this naturally heated pool made the whole thing so mystical and so fairy tale because it freezing and we're I'm I'm in my shorts, I'm in my swimming shorts only. And when you'd get out of that to go to one of the other indoor pools, it'd be a few seconds of sheer ice cold because you your 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 wet naked body essentially is stepping out into Hungarian winter time night weather. But yeah, like over forty different pools and indoor and outdoor, each of them had different sorts of benefits. There was some like menthol rooms where you could just clear your sinuses and it was more of a a, a sauna type thing there were lazy rivers like pools with currents that would kind of take you around there were some really hot uh pools there were some just generally mildly warm ones some cold water we stayed there for hours and in fact by by pure chance my brother adam and his ex-girlfriend were also in budapest at the time we were supposed to meet them for dinner that night and then go out afterwards we didn't make dinner with them because my my ex and I stayed in the bathhouse for so long. We it was just really there was loads to see and it was really enjoyable. And we went for dinner on our own. I texted my brother Adam said, "Hey, sorry, we're we're behind schedule. We're going to eat near our place and then we can meet you somewhere in town for drinks." And one of the other iconic tourist things to do in Budapest aside from the bathhouses are the ruin pubs or the ruin bars. Uh ruin pubs were set up when after the wall came down when the soviet union collapsed there was a lot of abandoned buildings and many of them would find what squats would be set up there so artists uh local hippie communes that kind of thing all these people would move into these abandoned buildings and set up squats and some of them became semi-legit over the years they they turned into bars but they're still very unique and they maintain that kind of squat vibe incredible architecture and you could tell these were like an artistic people who designed these these uh, ruined pubs i think there's about 10 or 15 all throughout the city we went to one of the more famous ones and it's it's a legitimate bar or restaurant now you can get food and drink there and have a good time but it's it feels as if you're in this really unique place with very interesting decor and it, it you don't see this kind of style of bar really anywhere else in the world or i haven't yet so if you're in Budapest, I'd recommend checking out any of the ruined pubs. They're they're very cool. Great time with my brother as well. We had a good night. And yeah, I, I spent a lot of time during the rest of the trip trying to decide which one I preferred, Prague or Budapest. It's still a tough choice. I think I flip back and forth, but Budapest probably wins it for me, slightly. I think Prague is a more beautiful city overall, but I, I don't know. I felt I more of a connection to Budapest. There's more to do, I think. I Yeah, I loved the city. And we were moving on. This was now week two, or I think the trip was going into its final week. This was the furthest east we were going to go, so we're we're eventually going to loop all the way back around to Amsterdam, but we were currently in Budapest. And to get there, we discovered the joy of night trains. So from Budapest, we took a a train back to Vienna, and from Vienna, we were going to take a night train to Florence in Italy. 
quite a long way, but yeah, when you're traveling through the night, makes it a lot easier. So we we arrived back in Vienna and it had gotten even colder. It was snowing very heavy that day. We went to a market and I remember we bought this like box of falafel, freshly made falafel that was still warm and the two of us were freezing, our fingers were frozen and numb and we were trying to just eat, get any sort of internal warmth from these fresh falafel that we just bought. And they were delicious. And from Vienna we hopped on the night train to Florence, as I said. Once we boarded we found our couchette, we found our carriage and each carriage had this attendant which checked our tickets and our passports and then she took our breakfast order and I had no idea of what this in- entails do you want tea or coffee with your breakfast very smiling you know, very uh, hospitable thought, wow this is okay this is cool we stayed in a couchette or a couchette I called it forever but it's couchette I think which is not the cheapest option but not the most expensive so you can just buy a seat on the train you can just sleep in your seat if you want to you can get a private bedroom like a private cabin with with a bed uh, or the in-between is a couchette which is sort of a dorm room for a train there are bunk beds that fold out from the wall so there's seats there during the day and when it's time to sleep those seats are converted into beds but also on the wall there are built-in beds so that we you can sleep on the higher one and honestly falling asleep on the train was amazing i i didn't realize how comforting it would be the sound of the tracks the, the the whirring of the you know that the typical train noises and it was rocking from side to side slightly as we went and wow it was just a lovely way to fall asleep and then as you, you it's perfect because you've got travel and accommodation all wrapped up in one you fall asleep in vienna or somewhere in the austrian countryside and you wake up and you're in italy we were woken up with breakfast about an hour before we arrived at 6 a.m i think and got this tray it had like bread on it with sliced fruit orange juice jam marmalade and coffee and <laughs> i don't think i even expected a breakfast let alone a good one like a really nice simple but very welcome meal that got us going so yeah i i definitely recommend traveling via night train um at least this one was good i'll, I'll tell another night train story shortly but the vienna to florence was wonderful by train I say that, despite I slept pretty well, I think, on the train, but we were about 13 days, 13, yeah, we were about that into a hectic travel schedule, and we were eating very well, eating lots of fun vegan food, but not healthy, not at all, and it was just starting to catch up, we'd been on the go for so long, probably dehydrated and lacking some real, like, nutrition, I don't, we didn't have many salads on, on the trip, a lot more cheeseburgers than salads. We arrived in Florence about 7am, but we couldn't check into our hotel till 10, I think, or at least for a few hours, and we were zombies. Like that, I remember that being one of the most drained I'd, I'd ever been. But luckily, the station had this kind of open cafe thing where we could wait and just crucially drop our bags. The load was becoming, the, the backpack, the sheer weight of the backpack was becoming more of a mental burden than a physical one. So anytime you got to drop that for, for five minutes or an hour, or f- have some space, safe space just to sit down and take the bag off your back, oh, we, it was so welcome. Anyway, this random cafe uh, in a train station in Florence sold a pastry which had the tag beside it, Tortana Vegana, so a vegan tart, which was lovely. That was a very pleasant surprise. I had one of them with a coffee and tried to shake off the uh, the fatigue, but that morning may have been one of the most... Yeah, one of the most tired I've ever been. There's there's a photo of us from there, and we're both just so sleep-deprived. But eventually, the sun came up, the city woke up, we passed a few hours, and we checked into our hotel. It felt so good to be in Florence, because the the night train almost felt like a, a magical portal. Bear with me, I'll, I'll explain why. But we'd spent the last two weeks in Central and Eastern Europe, trying to just not freeze to death. There were plenty of snowy days, frozen streets... But also, it was Eastern Europe, the likes of Prague and Budapest have a lot of these large concrete buildings, like Soviet-style architecture, that it's a bit grey and a bit grim, especially in winter. And suddenly, we'd woken up, and we were in the south of Europe. We were in a warm place that was had colour, and I, I didn't have to wear my hat and scarf and boots anymore. I, I had to wear a jacket. It was about 9 or 10 degrees. But after the last two weeks we'd had, 9 degrees was warm. That felt like summer. And suddenly they were in Medi- the Mediterranean, Tuscany sort of area. There were 
the, the trees were different. There were olive trees and there were, you know, houses that were painted bright, colorful colors. It was just really an unexpected, um, something I didn't fact, something I didn't realize would be a thing. Like, oh, of course, we're, we're going to be going to Florence, uh, Tuscany. We're going to be going to the Italian Renaissance city. But that never, I never realized that it would be a lot less cold and just a lot more bright and warm. So it, that helped to warm up the body, sure, but also helped my soul. It just, it was so nice to see, to feel, to be, just to be able to be outside without worrying about where we're going to go in next. How am I going to get some, some heat in me? That was a relief. Florence was amazing. A beautiful city. I saw the replica of Michelangelo's David. The The real thing was in the museum, but you had to pay to go in. And yeah, we'd spent far too much money by then already. So we were saving money whenever we could. And that included not paying into museums. We saw the, the, the model, the copy of the Statue of David. The the massive cathedral, the Duomo, I think it's called. The, the, in the Right in the center of the city, the skyline is dominated by this huge and beautiful cathedral. We saw that. Very cool. Again, didn't go in, but nice to look to take a look at it. I was given a tip by the hotel owner that Piazza Piazza Michelangelo, Piazza Michelangelo was one of the best places to go to get a panoramic view of the city and to do it at sunset was recommended. That's exactly what we did, and he was right. It is perfect. You cross the river, but a twenty minute walk, you walk up these uh, set of stairs, kind of a you wouldn't really go wouldn't really go that direction. It didn't look like we were going anywhere in particular, but suddenly you're at, you climb the stairs and you're in this car park on top of a hill and you have this perfect panoramic view of the whole city of Florence. And yeah, we went there in the evening. The sun was going down. It was just stunning. So yes, Florence was a great uh, little excursion. We only we had one night, so a, a day and a half really, and then we were going to take another night train to our final stop on the tour, which was to be Paris, Paris. So I sung the praises of the night train earlier, and now I'm about to give you a bit more of the gritty reality of travel. We had to go from Florence to Milan. The night train was leaving from Milan, and we had a few hours in Milan to spend before our train left. We thought, great, I've, I've never been to Milan. Let's let's go have a look at the city. We walked out of the train station. The station was beautiful, this big old classical architecture-style um, train station. But the area around it in Milan was not beautiful. Milan's this big, modern, you know, uh, wealthy city. And the train station is just in this area, which was all office blocks and concrete. And it was a bit dodgy as well. We were there at night, so there was no buzz at all. All the offices were closed and we were walking around the station. You just see some weird characters and it didn't really feel... It, felt, it wasn't unsafe, but it wasn't desirable either. And certainly... Yeah, there was just nothing to see. We didn't re I didn't we didn't know Milan at all. We hadn't researched that and didn't know where the pretty parts were. We were just gonna take a walk around the station area to kill some time. Found a vegan place nearby, we went there for dinner, but it was so overpriced. We'd been in Eastern Europe, places like Prague and Budapest where living living costs are much cheaper. Suddenly we were we were in Milan trying to eat vegan in a place near the station and it was a buffet-style restaurant, and we were loading, you know, you paid by weight of how much food you loaded on your plate. And I thought, okay, I'm being a bit conservative. I think I'm going to check how much this is before I stock up on everything else I want. And my small plate of food was already 14 euro, and I realized, okay, stop, stop loading up your plate. This is too expensive already. And we got on our train. The night train was not going to prove much better than our Milan experience so far. There was no friendly cabin attendant this time taking our breakfast orders the way we had from Vienna to Florence. The couchette we stayed in was shared but with another family and they didn't realize that this was a shared thing. They thought they'd booked one to themselves. So we arrived at the number, uh, our cabin number, knocked on the door and we were ignored for a few minutes and then we knocked again and they, they didn't speak English but long story short they thought no this is ours not yours and they didn't realize they had to share. So that was kind of awkward. Tried. We fell asleep. I fell asleep eventually. I can't tell. I can't remember when. Probably not instantly. But the the worst part of the whole ride was we we crossed the French border about two a.m. And I know because the French had border control. They didn't take our passports when we were in the station in Milan the way the previous night train had done to pre-check them in advance so there was no stop halfway through. We arrived at the French border. The train came to a halt about two a.m. And these two French police officers came in. 
screaming and shouting some abrasive language anyway they were very like get up now give us your passports they switched on the light brightness to full i didn't know where i was i was half asleep zombie mode suddenly you have this french police officer shouting at you we hadn't done anything they this was just the past the, the passport checks but they collected all of our passports and just walked away and i'm half awake startled at the same time because these two guys came on screaming and shouting and my heart rate's going and i had no idea where i was and i realized they've just these two men these two individuals have just walked away with all our passports i assume they're french police i assume it's border control but they were just two men in uniform and now i hope they come back with my passport and they did eventually but these two guys seemed to revel in the pleasure they didn't have to turn on all the lights they didn't have to shout us shout at us to wake us all up but they just seemed to enjoy it. It was kind of sadistic, and yeah, that was not very, uh, very fun. I was sleep sleep deprived and scared, honestly. But we we got our passports back. The train went again, and we tried to fall asleep. But Paris beckoned. We were on our way to Paris. I'd never been to Paris before. It's it's such an interesting place because. There are so many preconceptions about Paris, the city of romance, the city of love, the beautiful architecture, the it's all, you know, red wine and baguettes and boulangeries and what I'd heard from a lot of people was that they're disappointed in that in fact it's just it's a modern it's a massive modern European city. It has problems, it has overcrowding. The the Parisians are famously meant to be quite a rude, arrogant people and there are, you know, areas of the city that are not so pretty and that are a bit dangerous. So I think the idea of Paris being disappointing was set in my mind. I, I I was prepared to say, yeah, it's it's not exactly like the movies. It's going to be a bit, you know, dirty and grimy in real life. But we're going to go see the Louvre, the Eiffel Tower, do all the things we want to do. So I went in with a very level-headed mentality. I was expecting to be disappointed, but I really enjoyed Paris. What I didn't realize was that the cafes, the corner cafes, the boulangeries are everywhere, at least in the center of town. There's so many cute terraces you can sit at. The architecture was beautiful. We had uh, two days in the city, one night. So we were staying in a hotel room for one night, which is probably the nicest accommodation we had on the whole trip, which helped as well. And yeah, I just, I had a good time. It was a really cool city. Um, sadly, not long before we arrived, two months before we got to Paris, the there were terrorist attacks there. I don't know if you remember them. There were three attacks, I think, in the city. There was one at a music venue, one at a football stadium, maybe another one. A lot of people died. And uh, yeah, a tragedy. Absolutely, absolute tragedy. But we were there in January, two months later, and the city was really isolated. It wasn't that busy. There weren't many tourists around. I think the fact that it was January anyway, probably a lot quieter generally. But the, I, I think the terrorist attack also kept a lot of tourists away. We saw a lot of armed police everywhere. The, the the security presence was quite visible, and I think that was a very intentional thing. We were supposed to see these armed police guys everywhere. One of the things I really loved that we had we'd booked tickets in Paris to go to a concert, to go to see a music show. Joshua Radin, another one of my favorite singer-songwriters, had, was performing there at the time. And if it, it, it was... a a really meaningful thing it felt like a statement of defiance to go to a gig in paris because freedom culture a safe place for people to meet and sing and dance and have a good night had been just attacked so meaninglessly it wasn't a this the 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 concert was an eagles of death metal show they're a fun rock band it's not it wasn't a political statement it was just designed to attack purely innocent people to put the fear into them for doing something that they loved and to make it unsafe. So as a result, it felt really good for us to be doing that, to to be defying them and saying, no, fuck you, excuse my language, but fuck you, terrorism. I'm going to go to a music show in Paris and I'm going to have a great time. And it clearly meant a lot to everybody there. You could see it in the performer, in Joshua Radin. He was delighted. The people in the audience, it felt really special to be defying these assholes who murdered innocent people and to be going to a live music show in paris so that that added an extra bit of weight and but on a on a a, another brighter note by then we were just so exhausted and so emotional and tired and everything was more the the good things were better the bad things were worse because we were just so drained but yeah I, i really enjoyed paris we did see the louvre we did see the eiffel tower um 
I'd seen this Owen Wilson movie a few years ago called Midnight in Paris, which made me love it a bit. And we saw a couple of those spots through the city. Uh, Montmartre Montmartre area was gorgeous in Paris I'm not pronouncing that correctly but that's where Moulin Rouge is and where the Sacre Coeur is and this kind of artisanal, creative, cool area of Paris which was very nice the last leg of the journey of our whole trip was going to be from Paris to Amsterdam by Megabus or Flixbus by one of the cheap bus companies instead of by train which was a mistake in hindsight but I'll get to that the bus was leaving at 11pm that night, so we had a whole day to spend in the city before we had to make our way home, finally. And the final hours of that day were spent on the steps of the Sacre Coeur, of this uh, church built on top of the hill in the Montmartre area. We had planned for that. We bought a bottle of wine in a supermarket, just some cheap bottle of wine, because yeah, in <laughs> in France you can get them very cheap and you can get really good wine for decent prices. We bought a baguette because, you know, when in Rome, you have to have a baguette. And we'd stolen these all these little packets of jam and marmalade from the hotel breakfast. And we were going to have our little end of trip um, picnic on the steps of the Sacre Coeur, overlooking the whole city of Paris as the sun went down. It was beautiful. And it really was. Only thing is, though, the French wine authenticity came up, came to bite us in the backside because it was a corked bottle of wine it wasn't the screw cap that we realized oh we don't have a wine opener damn it i remember going to a few people thinking hey sorry this is weird you don't happen to have a wine opener do you <laughs> no nobody did there was a bar nearby i considered going in asking them to open the bottle of wine for us i thought ah, that can't that's not fair I, I can't expect them to do that and i'm not buying anything and, hey can you open my alcohol that i bought to not drink in your bar in the end, we used a key. Uh, one of one of my ex's keys had a sharp or key ring thing, had a sharp thing, and we just worked on the cork and pierced it and eventually spilled a bit of wine, and I think a bit of the cork went into the bottle. Not exactly ideal, but we managed to share our bottle of wine and our, our bread and have a little picnic. The city lights came on. It was going dark, beautiful. This running group came by. I thought, this would be a great place to meet for a run overlooking the city of Paris you can get your hill training in and wow just as scenic as can be it really was a, a lovely end we were winding down chatting about the whole trip we were about to go back to reality back to the Netherlands back to our lives and we had one more journey to take and that was the bus ride home which, which was no fun at all it was oh it was tough we'd had three weeks of amazing city trips wonderful food experiences incredible culture all of that but it was exhausting we, we'd been on the go for three weeks and not taking care of ourselves as much as we had using a lot of energy spending a lot of money there was some stress along the way mishaps we we missed a train and it was difficult you know there are there are hard moments and when you're together with someone in such close confines for three weeks it can it was testing we had a few difficult moments but the main thing, I was just so looking forward to getting back and wearing something different because I'd been wearing the same one or two pairs of jeans, the same three t-shirts, the same jacket, the same everything for three weeks now. And I was looking forward to a shower, obviously, sleeping, just being still, not having to go to another city in a day or two and just having the rest of my wardrobe again, finally, to wear. So, yeah, di didn't sleep much on the bus. The bus was to Amsterdam didn't drop us in Amsterdam because this is how these things make money. It dropped us somewhere near outside the city center, some metro station or whatever. I was in such a zombie haze. I can't even remember. But we arrived bright and like early in the morning. It was a night bus. 6 a.m. I think we arrived. We had to get some connection into the city center to Amsterdam Central. And I'd, I'd, we were on a bus or a tram or a metro. I don't know. It, just had no concept of where or when we were by then. We were so sleep-deprived and we'd been on the go for so long, seeing so many things. I, the, probably my favorite uh, journey of the whole tour was the train from Amsterdam Central back to her parents' house, uh, the, the end of the trip. Don't get me wrong, I don't want to be mislead you. It was incredible. I, I saw the Eiffel Tower, the Berlin Wall, so many famous cities and sites all across Europe. But I think the favorite sight of all was her mother's car arriving in this little country train station to pick us up and bring us home. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I, I won't forget that. 
And that that's it. That there's my three week interrail tour. I've been talking plenty, so I'm not going to go on too much. But it's something I truly recommend you do. Europe is the amount of cultural diversity, historical wealth of culture and experiences, and the amount of variety in such a small landmass. All things considered, compare Europe, the size of Europe to America or Asia, and the fact that you can do it all by train. You, it's three, three, four, five, six hours between these massive, famous historical cities. You can go from the center of one city to the center of the other in four hours. Boom! Suddenly you're in Budapest. Suddenly you're in Vienna, or all of these places. So it's it going by train through Europe is truly an amazing way to see the the continent to get to know these places. I'd really recommend it to anyone. In hindsight, now I think I would probably give a little bit more time to each destination. We tried to squeeze in as much as possible. We did ten. What did we have? Ten stops all in all from Amsterdam to back to Amsterdam in three weeks, and the movement was proving to be the hardest thing. The reason I love the trains between the two cities so much was because it meant we you could do nothing. You have for the next four hours, you could just sit there and recover didn't have to be anywhere you were going like you were moving but the the effort was in the train we could just sit there that that became more and more important as we went in budapest i think i had this first and realized well halfway through so on, on our first day or two in budapest i would be already fearing the fact that we would have to pack up the next day reload the backpack have this giant weight on our backs and do it all again find the central station find the platform get on the train find our next Airbnb and check in and then we could relax again. That it, There was a bit too much of that all through the trip. So I think if you were going to do it, give yourself more time or less less stuff to do in that time, basically, is what I would do next if I was ever to do that again. And I think I will. I'd love to see more of Europe by train. There was a lot we didn't get to see. Krakow was supposed to be on the tour, but there was some uh, rail work going on between Berlin and Krakow, which meant that it, you, you couldn't couldn't get there by train or you had to divert or take a bus or something. So we, we, we just eliminated that entirely. I learned that cultural fatigue is absolutely a thing. You can get overwhelmed by the sheer amount of history and culture and architecture and you can only be authentically amazed by anything for so long. Think of the first time you were on a plane. It was, wow, this is so cool. The engines, the the flying, the landing. You've probably taken plenty of tra- uh, flights since then, and I still love being on a plane. I, I work on planes. I'm on them most, most days, and I still love it, but it's not quite as giddy and, oh my God, as the very first time. And it's the same when you've seen museums and cathedrals and bridges and sculptures and monuments. You can. There's only so much wow in a person in a short space of time, and we, by the end, I just needed to recharge my batteries. I don't. Don't get me wrong. Like I've said, it, the the trip was fantastic. It was just more draining than I realized it was going to be. But yeah, uh, that was it. Had this massively wonderful vegan food trip through through Europe in a three week span of time. Didn't actually talk that much about the vegan side of things. So. Yeah, I, I, I could do another podcast. I have done a podcast about vegan travel tips with Heather. You can go back and look at that one if you want to know what it's like to be vegan on the go and how to do it when you're traveling, when you're in an unfamiliar land. We ate really well. We checked out vegan places in every city we went to. Had so much junk food, cake, <laughs> pizza, all these sorts of treats. And they were treats, but you realize after three weeks you can't... the treats for a reason. You can't be healthy and energetic and survive while living off this stuff. So more sleep, more water, more fruit and veg next time. And more stories, more travel, more vegan, more running, more stuff to tell you about in next week's podcast. I'm going to leave it there for now. Thanks for joining me on my three-week interrail tour recap. been meaning to do this for a while, and honestly, it's been so nice, because as I said, this is all a, a trip I took with my ex-girlfriend, so there's some you know bittersweet memories there. But it was such a monumental one maybe once in a lifetime but such a big trip that is never gonna it's not gonna happen again anytime soon like that and i'm just truly grateful it, it, to to relive it now to see the photos again to go through the memories I'm, i've even found the emails with all our old train tickets and itineraries and stuff that's been a lot of fun and that's how i re- remembered everything i did basically there's some 
general memories in my head, but specific details I had totally forgotten about. So I have really enjoyed recapping my, my trip that I took five years ago now. Wow, it's five years ago. And I hope you enjoyed it too. So let me know. Um, Berlin, Prague, Budapest, Vienna, Florence, Paris. Have you been to any of those cities? Would you like to go? Are, are you curious? If so, you can get in touch with me. StephenRunsVegan at gmail.com if you want to send an email. I can give you all the details you might need, answer any questions, hopefully, as best I can. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter. I think I might, uh, sorry, Instagram and Twitter. Instagram, StephenRunsVegan. Twitter, StephenRunsPod. Again, the links are all below, so you don't need to memorize these. Go down in the into the episode description. You can click the link and find me there. I might share some photos from this trip I did over the next few days on both of those places. For Again, for nostalgia for myself as much as anything else. So thank you very much for listening. My usual plea, if you want to find this podcast, on wherever you're listening to the podcast, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, any of the apps, they all have a subscribe feature. You can subscribe to the show. That would be awesome. You can download it, share it with your friends, leave a review if you can review the, the podcast anywhere you like. Be honest, of course. Tell me what you what exactly what you think about it. But if you ha- if you feel like leaving a good review, if you take something from this podcast, this episode, or any of my previous ones, would be great to hear from you. So I'll leave it there. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed hearing all about my three weeks of training through Europe. As always, take care of yourselves and each other. Bye bye.